What's up? Welcome to Forte Catholic. Live here on this Tuesday night at 7 p.m. in the Red Sea Radio Worldwide Studio here in College Station, Texas. I am your beautiful and loving host, Taylor Schroll, here for another great night of the show, episode 26. I cannot believe we've been on the air for 26 episodes. It was actually about 29, but they had to delete five of them. I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. We're going we're, we're gonna to have a great show here today. Um, first and foremost, I'm thinking about putting some of our like pre-show and post-show banter as a separate podcast because we have so much fun on the show like coming into it like right now today it's just like going old school it's just it's just me and and jake the producer hey jake how are you i'm doing all right how are you so jake why don't we just explain to people what just happened like 10 seconds before the show started uh which part there were a lot of things that happened there were a lot of things that happened so i started singing mulan yeah okay so this is a movie that came out in like what 1990 something right so i'm singing this song and then all of a sudden jake says Hey, I was literally just listening to that on the way here in the car. That's absolutely ridiculous. You know, people are like, oh, there are no coincidences, only God incidents. Like, I don't think God ordained that. <laughs> so <laughs> there's our little happy coincidence of the day. But um, that's how we're going to start our show. And hopefully we just get better as we keep going on. It's an odd way to start a radio show. But uh, yeah, it's just me and Jake today. Normally we have a couple other like weirdos sitting here listening to me talk which i guess is literally everybody listening to this but they watch me do it you're like doing other stuff like driving in your car or uh like mowing the lawn or in the shower i don't know what you're doing if you're listening to the podcast but i listen to podcasts in the shower like taylor says though he has the perfect face for radio i do have the perfect face for radio that's my tagline (laughs) it's on my business cards so speaking about struggles and things about my faith the first thing i wanted to talk about today is this lenten season like most radio show hosts would be like, oh, this Lenten season's been so beautiful. I've grown in holiness. I'm, I've sucked at Lent this Lent. <laughs> that was a great sentence. The past few weeks have been like rough. It's been crazy because like my prayer life before Lent was like steadily increasing. So I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep growing in prayer, keep growing in prayer. And then something happened, right? The two things that will knock me out of prayer mode and like my normal growing and healthy prayer life The two things that will knock me out, if I get super crazy busy, that's like Taylor 101 not praying. Get super busy. Number two is when Taylor gets sick. Number three is when Taylor talks in third person, right? So these, the honestly, the first two things happen. I got super busy. Like work's just been absolutely crazy these past couple months. And then on top of all that, like my prayer life was still okay through the business. I was like finding finding time to pray and praying in the car, like driving to and from things, right? So things were all honky-dory. And then over spring break, my children went and got sick. And parents, you know that when your children get sick, about four days later, you're sick, right? So my kids got sick and they were sick for like two or three days, and then they were fine. My wife and I got sick. I told you all a little bit about this last week because we had to, had to skip the show two weeks ago. Last week I came in, did the show. I was like getting through it. And the good thing was I had a great co-host last week and she was able to kind of carry the show. Because uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with radio, I had this little button in front of me called a mute button. So I can, I can push this button and all of a sudden I'm instantly muted so like nothing will come through, right? It's essentially a cough button, right? If I need to cough or I need to clear my throat, I push this little button, then I can do that without it, you know, blasting in your eardrums or through your car speakers because that's annoying. Last week, 
I probably coughed about 197 times <laughs> during the show, but you heard about one of them because I kept putting the cough button over a cough button and I kept put, turning it on whenever I had to cough. So it was a rough couple of weeks, right? And when I get sick, you would think you would think that being in Catholicism, like if you were to ask anybody, what's the best religion or belief system that you want to be in to like make something good out of suffering? Bingo, it's Catholicism, right? Catholicism is like, yeah, we're great at suffering. We're like even known for suffering. Our Lord was known for suffering on the cross. And we have all this redemptive suffering and all these things. It is the single worst, the single thing that I am the worst at in faith is suffering will. I I turn into like a little baby. I'm like all boo-hooing because I'm sick. And then I'm just like, I just want to binge watch Netflix and I want to sleep. And I don't want to pray because that takes mind space and my mind is like not mind space not my space mind space and like all these things i have to think about and all this stuff and like i can't focus in prayer so i'm just like ah i'm just not gonna do it and then i'm sick for two weeks and then it's like well dang it i like prayed at mass and then a couple of times throughout those two weeks but like there was no like depth in my prayer and i'm like man this is what lent's supposed to be all about it's supposed to be all about growing closer to the lord returning to the lord Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, like through those three things, returning to the Lord. And I just felt like I was in a desert, right? So here's the deal, though. I've been okay for like the last week, and things have started to improve. So I, I lost, essentially lost two weeks of Lent. I got lost in the desert. Now, now I'm back on track and still trying to get out of the desert, but things are improving. So what I, the reason I share this with you and what I want to like continue to dive in today is actually one of the things that helped me get out of this like two-week slump where I'm just like not doing well. Um, I'm reading this book, I actually just finished it today, called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's by this guy named Brother Lawrence. He was a, uh, he lived in like mon- monastic life in like the year 1000, between 1000 and 1100. So, you know, a good thousand years ago. And he writes this book about people who, like, for anybody, um, a lot of it's letters to other monks, a lot of it's letters to just random people who write him because he was this uh, highly regarded as this holy person. So people wanted to grow in their spiritual life, and then they would ask him these questions, right? And the entire premise of the book is, like, all of us need to be practicing the presence of God, uh, being aware of the presence of God in our daily lives, in, in all that we're doing, and, like, whenever we lose focus on God, to just immediately turn back without any guilt or without any frustration, but just turn back to God without beating ourselves up, but realizing that we need to turn around. So there's a a lot of the quotes here that I want to share with you here in this first segment, and I want them to be both a challenge for you um, in finishing this Lent strong and encouragement for you um, no matter where you are. So maybe you're having a great Lent and you're listening to me and like, oh, this Catholic radio show host isn't a really good Catholic. It's like, I'm, I'm sitting over here probably agreeing with you. But what I want, whether you're having a great Lent or if you're like me and you've had some struggles through Lent, like my buddy here shaking his head whenever I said that, we, we all have these ups and downs in our faith life. So what I want this to do is if, if Lent hadn't been going your way, if you haven't been putting in, uh, putting in the time or the energy or the effort, or uh, you've, you've, you've done really well at times, you've done and anywhere in between, I want this to, to help you to live the last two weeks of Lent strong with me. Through all the desert time that I had and being sick and not, not being happy, it's like I still want to be committed 
to not giving up on Lent and saying, oh, there's always next year. It's like, no, there's right now. So look, we're going to walk through some of this. And these are all qu- quotes from, from Brother Lawrence. He starts, he says, there needs to be faithfulness in dry seasons of the spiritual life when we feel distant from God and find, and find prayer burdensome. So this is where I was. I was. I was looking at my times of prayer like as a thing that I didn't want to do. I, I felt distant from God, so it like maybe not want to go to prayer. But he says we need to have faithfulness in the dry seasons of the spiritual life. So like it's one of those things that I've heard dozens of times before. Oh, you know, be you know, be strong in your strong moments so that when you're weak, you'll be set up with with your routine and all, all of these things to kind of help you to stay strong whenever you're feeling weak. But it's one of those things that even if you know it, you get into these times where you really just need to hear it again, and, and that's what I really needed to hear. And then he says, in regards to sin, so let's like even if like there has been a struggle with sin in your Lent. He says, uh, these are two quotes where he's talking to God that I just absolutely love. He says, uh, in in regards to sin, I have sinned. I shall never do otherwise if you leave me to myself. You must stop my falling and fix what is amiss in me, right? So instead of like taking the this huge blame for his sin, which like if you read the whole book, you know that he like you know, kind of, you know, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Like he beats his chest about like knowing that he's not perfect. But at the same time, he looks at God and he says, God, like this is your problem. You made me with free will. Fix me. It's so funny because I love the honesty of the prayer, but also like the realization and the humility to realize I can't fix this on my own. I need help. I need God. I need your help, God, in this. He says something really similar in the next couple of pages. When I fail in my duty to God, I immediately acknowledge it, saying, all I do is sin, and I shall never do otherwise if I am left to myself. So you and I, we will never stop sinning. We will never stop struggling with sin if we try to do it on our own. Like, we will continue to lose that battle. We'll continue to lose, like, the battle with uh, commitment to prayer unless we ask him to help us and expect him to help us. So he says, uh, and then and like the next couple of things I want to share are about spiritual exercises. Because a lot of times like in Lent, we're always like, okay, I'm going to increase my prayer time. I'm going to try this new prayer. I'm going to do Stations of the Cross on Friday. I'm going to add these things, right? He actually says some pretty interesting things about spiritual exercises, about how a lot of times too, too often we get focused on the spiritual exercise. We get too, focused too much on the specific prayer instead of the goal of that prayer, which is to be in the presence of God, to commune with God, to be in relationship with God, right? So he says, many, many people do not advance in the Christian life because they get stuck in penances and particular spiritual exercises. They neglect the love of God, which is the goal. So in all of our prayer time, it's not necessarily about the amount of time that we put in. Um, I mean, as long as we're doing it, it's, it's more about are we growing in our love for God, and our love for neighbor in our prayer time? Because you can say four rojis in a day, but if you just... If, you just, if you're just saying it and your heart's not in it and you're not growing in love, then what are we really doing? Then he says, it is not necessarily, t- talking about, about prayer and like how a lot of people, in, like in busy lives, right? So let's say you're busy and you can't go to mass um, in the morning, but he says it's not necessary to be in church to be with God. We can make our heart a chapel where we can withdraw from time to time and commune with him in meekness, humility, and love. And the thing that I love about this, I, I've told, I told you guys before on the podcast and in um, one of my blog posts about how like my prayer life changed because of watching a Muslim in a TV show called Lost and how like I was in one of these times where my prayer was struggling and God spoke to me through a, a Muslim TV character 
Uh, if you haven't read that blog, you can go check it out on ForteCatholic.com. It's a good one. I'll put it in the show notes. The big thing I learned from the, the people who practice Islam is that they just stop in the middle of their day and pray no matter what. Being able to stop throughout the day in your busyness of your life, being able to stop and just recognize that God is present, that, he's, that he loves you, that he is there with you in whatever you're doing. If you're at work or you're changing diapers or you're uh, working out or whatever, being able to stop before you do that and just acknowledge that God is there in the gym, that he's there in your house, that he's there in your office. And the last couple things are just um, more of the challenges challenges and encouragement for you, right? And I'll kind of like mix and match them so we don't get too, uh, too far either way. This is just a great quote. He says that all things are possible to him who believes. They are less difficult to him who hopes. They are easier to him who loves, and they are easiest to him who perseveres in the practice of all three virtues. And I love that so much because, like, it's, you know, faith, hope, and love, the, the three greatest virtues. In the scriptures, we hear, like, the greatest of these is love. And I love this quote because it kind of ties them all together and says, like, no, like, all three are still really important. Like, love is the most important. That's, that doesn't negate this. But faith and hope are still these huge things that we need in order to continue growing in our love for God and our love for neighbor. The next thing that he says, and I love this because it's, it talks about the desert. So it's like talking about, and he wasn't even talking about Lent, but I'm reading it Lent. So I'm connecting that to it. He says that in the spiritual life, not to advance is to retreat. Those who have the wind of the Holy Spirit go forward even in sleep. If the ship of our soul is still tossed with winds and storms, let us awake the Lord who sleeps in it and he will qu- quickly calm the sea. I love that because it's a challenge and encouragement all in the same time. The challenge is like, hey, you got to look in the mirror. And if you're not like advancing and growing in your faith, growing in your hope, growing in your love, then you're actually going backwards. So that's a real big challenge and eye opener. But then the encouragement is just like the, the disciples when they're, when they're in the boat and the storms are going crazy and Jesus is asleep in the cabin. They go in, they're like, Jesus, do you want us to die? Like, you're not going to come out here and like do anything about this. And Jesus is like. Leave me alone. I'm asleep. He doesn't say that. This is essentially what, kind of what he said, though. And then he goes out. And what does he do? He calms the storms. He speaks to the wind. He speaks to the storms. He speaks to the rain. Just like, stop. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's the Jesus that I imagine. In the, in the storms and the winds and the craziness of our lives, instead of trying to fight it on our own, all we need to do is go wake up Jesus. The disciples couldn't have done anything about the storm, right? There's a lot of them were like master fishermen. Or not master fishermen. They've just been doing it a long time. They weren't master fishermen because otherwise they probably wouldn't have left their jobs. They were, pretty, they, they were, out, were out all night and didn't catch any fish. So um, that'd be like saying that I'm a master golfer. I've golfed like four times. For real, though, like if things are going crazy, we can't fix it on our own. But asking God to come in and, and awake us, or to, we need to awake him and have him calm the sea. And then finally... Just to kind of end this, he says that by God's mercy, he's still given us more time. Therefore, let us begin again in earnest. Let us redeem the lost time. Let us return with full assurance to the Father of mercies, who is always ready to receive us tenderly. In this Lenten season, that's just kind of to bookend this first segment here. What we need is to just return to God, no matter where we are. No matter if you're feeling super holy right now or you're really struggling, we need to return to God in these last two weeks of Lent. Um, the, for the rest of the show, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking to my friend Joe McLean, the Catholic hack, who is the general manager over at the radio station, the Catholic radio station, Guadalupe Radio Network, over in Houston. So when we come back from the break, we're going to be talking to him about fatherhood, 
Uh, he's a great man, has a great story to tell us about that. Uh, so here in just a few seconds, we are going to be back with my friend, Joe McLean. Welcome back to segment two of tonight's Forte Catholic. We are having a, a cool little interview here with my buddy, Joe uh, McClain. Uh, he is, it's actually, I've never done what we're doing right now before. What we're doing is we're having a call from one radio station to another radio station. Hey, how are you over there, Joe? I'm good, Taylor. Thanks for having me on tonight. Yeah, so where are you, where are you doing this interview from? Uh, from my studio in Houston, Texas, KSHJ 1430 AM on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Yeah, so it's actually really interesting. So you and I have a mutual friend of Richard Reyna over at Guadalupe Radio in San Antonio. That's where I did my internship in college and pretty much the main reason I have this show. So it's nice to be talking to another GRN buddy. Yeah, praise be to Jesus. All right. So um, I, you, like... Everything around you, your email, your Twitter, your website, is the Catholic hack. And I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks like listening to old podcasts, checking out your website and stuff, and I still don't really get the names. You're going to have to explain it to me and explain it, <laughs> explain it to the people over here because like, when I hear hack, it's probably not a good thing. And so I'll let you explain uh, it. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. When I, uh, I, I had a mystical conversion in April of 2002 that utterly changed my life and saved the lives of my six children. And if Jesus hadn't intervened, they wouldn't be alive today. And so when, when that moment happened, uh, you know, I had to get to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I realized and was humbled by was, you know, my nothingness. And uh, what do I have to offer, you know, this, you know, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior? And so I, I, I said, you know, all I can offer him is my life. And, uh, you know, that nothingness uh, needs to sort of be, have to remind myself of that frequently. So, hey, I'm Catholic and I'm a hack, so I'll just go with a Catholic hack. You know, my, <laughs> my personal motto, which I, which I stole, you know, uh, I, I am not ashamed of this, but I totally ripped it off of Scott Hahn. And uh, I've, told, I've since told him this story. But, uh, yeah, one day I was listening to a talk that Scott gave, I don't know, probably 15 or 20 years ago. I don't even know when this talk was given. It's so long ago now. And he, he just mentioned in passing that, you know, he was the donkey upon which Jesus was riding right now. And I thought, that's brilliant. That, that sums me up in a nutshell. So I made that my personal motto. So if you go to my website, catholichack.com, you'll see that. Everywhere, it's the, the donkey upon which Jesus rides today. You know, it just reminds us that it's not us that does anything, it's him. And all I have to do is be willing to be the donkey. And heck, I can do that. So all else, the, all the heavy lifting is done by the Holy Spirit, right? Right. And uh, the heavy lifting is done by the Holy Spirit and the donkey. And I'm, I'm, it's funny because we're on Catholic radio and we're not supposed to say the other word for donkey. But, I mean, it says it That's in the scriptures. Right. So essentially what you're saying is that you're the ass for Jesus is, is, what, is what you're saying. Amen. <laughs> but I guess, I guess. Yay and amen. A-S-S <laughs> men, right? So, like, it, yes, sir. That's <laughs> a joke I tell when I travel and speak. I, I, I have a whole big fun joke I tell. 
about that. But uh, for, for listening and family audiences, we'll refrain. How yeah, about we'll that? save that. I mean, they hear it in church. The little, it's, one, it's one of my favorite parts of going to Mass is when those readings are read and all the little kids stare at their parents whenever you know they say the other word for donkey. So it's <laughs> yeah. a lot of fun. Well, hey, uh, I w- we wanted to get you on today to talk about um, one of your one of the topics you're most passionate about, and that's fatherhood. It was funny because when we were when mm. we, when we were like emailing back and forth, um, I was like, "Hey, what are some of the topics that you'd like to talk about?" And you listed a few things, and I think the last one you mentioned was fatherhood. And I was like, "I mean, selfishly, that's the one I need the most help in. So that's the one we're gonna go with." So, um, I- well, you know, the truth be told, Taylor, though I am a one trick donkey. So you're, I could I could tell you I could speak about fifty topics. You're really only going to get one, and it's just going to be packaged through whatever topic you choose. <laughs> so fatherhood, I, I'm happy to talk about father. I got six kids. You know, I'm the son of a father. I'm a father to others. So listen, we can talk about that. But I, I really only have one story to tell, and we'll just frame it within the framework of fatherhood. I got you. So like now I'm thinking about like everything on your website, and like everywhere you click, it's just the same blog post or the same podcast over and over again. Just with a different name and a different number. <laughs> well, so. maybe not quite, but close. <laughs> That's funny. So why don't you tell us your story, man? I know uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about your journey and uh, how fatherhood kind of fits into your story. So why don't you go ahead and, and share that with us? You know, it's it's fascinating, This the moment in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus teaches his own disciples how to pray, and he says, Our Father. I think in a 21st century you know, setting, we, we've lost the power of those words uh, upon the ears of those first century Jews. They would have never, never, ever, ever thought of calling God the creator of all the universe their father. That would have been like a big no-no. So the power of Jesus, the grand uh, you know, authority of everything, giving us the ability to call God Father was so monumental. And you know, it, took, it took many years after my mystical moment with Jesus before I could fully appreciate that myself, really. Because when I grew up as a, as a little boy, I was a Protestant. I was raised in the Church of Christ as a Protestant. But more importantly, I really was raised in the church of my father, and he was sort of the center of the universe and of my ideal and what I strived for, mostly because what I really wanted from my dad, my father, was his approval. I really, really, really wanted my dad to tell me he was proud of me. And see, my father was addicted to porn, and my father had all kinds of struggles in life with chastity. And that, uh, of course, led to a broken marriage with my mom, and my dad moved on. And I, as a little boy, I was so devastated by the breakup of my family. And as kids, you blame yourself. You don't know any better. You, You have no way of comprehending and dealing with this. All you know is that by nature's law, you, you deserve a mom and a dad. I mean, that's all you really know. You can't really explain it. You don't really know why, but you know it's broken and it ain't right and something's seriously messed up. And then my father goes on to, I mean, seriously, countless relationships. I mean, I can't even begin to keep track of all of my dad's relationships. But I encountered his porn collection when I was very, very young. I, I saw firsthand witness of my father's inappropriate, uh, you know, relationships, you know, that were very, that left lots of scars on me. And, and essentially, I grew up thinking that was the norm. Right, I thought that was the norm. So I, I basically reasoned with myself as a kid, and I said, you know, if I want my father to be proud of me, well, I'm going to have to become just like him. 
and then maybe he'll be proud of me. So I embraced that hedonistic lifestyle with all of its, uh, you know, vigor as I possibly could, especially throughout high school. You know, in high school, my father and I shared a porn collection. My father, you know, would share sage advice with me about how to have multiple relationships simultaneously and not get caught and all this other stuff. And uh, 1991 comes around, uh, the Gulf War breaks out. I joined the Marine Corps. I wanted to be, my father was in the Army, so I wanted to be bigger and tougher. I wanted to be in the Marines. And I thought that would make him proud, right? He would be proud of me, and he would uh, finally be able to say, you know, that he, he approved of me, and I would hear and feel that approval and feel accepted and feel like the world was right again. And, um, you know, a funny thing happened. I went to boot camp, and my father tried to get, prevent me from going. He did his best to try to bribe me from, from joining the Marine Corps altogether. He said, I'll pay for your college if you don't go. And I'm like, no, Dad, I'm going to go and be a Marine. You know, you're going to be the few, the proud, the Marines. So my father said, you'll never graduate boot camp. And he refused to put the sticker on his car, the one that they, the recruiters give all the recruits that says, you know, my son is a Marine. He, he wouldn't put it on his truck. He said, there's no way you're never going to graduate. Wow. And I'm like, okay, that's a gr- you know, that's the best thing to tell me is I can't do something. And look out, watch me do something. So I not only graduated, but I graduated number one in my entire company. I was the company honor man. So when my father drove across the country from upstate New York all the way to California to see me graduate, my name was in lights when he entered through the, the base gates. And I thought, this is the moment. My dad's finally going to be proud of me. He's going to, my father is going to give me his approval. I'm going to feel complete and whole, and everything's going to be fine. And something incredible happened that day, because not only did I graduate with honors and, and all of that, but more importantly, my mom and my dad and me sat down for a meal. And it was the first time that we were together again in, I can't remember how many years, since I was six, so I guess a decade or more. And it was a, an incredible moment, one that I wish will, had lasted forever. And my dad gave me about an hour and a half, and then he turned around, said goodbye, and he left and drove back across the country because there was a woman that he had to go see, a different woman. And so I moved on. Okay, well, I, I haven't achieved my goal. My father hasn't really told me he's really proud of me yet, and I really have to you know, strive to impress him. So long story short, I get stationed in Hawaii. Now, when you're young and you're a Marine, you think bullets bounce off of you. You think you're the toughest thing known to man. And, you know, you're in the best shape of your life. And you're placed in a, an island. You were talking about lost in the first – you were binge-watching lost, right? Islands are great places for scantily clad women. <laughs> and then if we're young and you think that the world revolves around you and you're the high priest of your religion and, and – you uh, see, I, I really jumped with two feet into the deep end of the Hawaiian pool. And I said, I'm really going to impress my father now. And so I was having multiple relationships simultaneously. I was reporting back to my dad, hoping he would be really proud of me and all of this. And then one day, one day, I got a phone call. And it was from uh, a young woman whom I had been dating on the side, and she was 18 years old. And she told me that she was pregnant, and she didn't know who the father was. And there was a chance that it could have been mine. And I remember that call, and I was at work at the time, and I said, well, what are you going to do? And she said, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about getting an abortion. And I said, that, that's a good idea. I, I said, I tell you what, I'll pay for it. And then I thought about it. I said, you know what, one better, I will drive you there. 
Because the, the reality was, Taylor, I wasn't going to be locked down. There was no possibility I was going to allow this woman to like tie me down like an anchor. I had too many more conquests to achieve, too many more women to put on my shelf of trophies in order to impress my father, in order to get his approval. Well, I drove that girl, and I wish I could remember her name. Unfortunately, I don't. I drove her across the island because we were on the windward side, and we had to go to the, the, the Honolulu side. So you had to drive over a mountain to get there. I never said one word to her in the whole drive, not one word. I drive her there, get to the uh, clinic at, uh, right across the street from the Honolulu Mall. I walk her in. I check her in. We sit down. I don't say a word, no conversation. The nurse comes out and calls her name. She gets up. She walks around the corner. And as soon as she's gone, I said, I am out of here. Now, at that time, I had no concept of the pro-life uh, movement, argument, uh, pro-choice, none of that. Like, I had no bearing whatsoever. For me, I was a hedonist. It was all about pleasure. It was all fine and dandy. There was no right or wrong. Like, I was a total crazy guy. So I had no concept of this. But I can tell you this, and this is interesting. Given that's where I was in life, I still felt the incredible negativity of the space itself. Like you could cut it with a knife. And I thought, I'm out of here. There's no way I'm hanging out here. So I got up. I walked out. I went across the street to the mall. And guess, guess what's in the food court of a Honolulu mall? Lots of young, beautiful women. And I began to try to talk to them. And as I'm getting the number, phone number for one girl, across the street is another young girl on her back while the child within her womb is murdered. Now, that, 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 that was a major turning point for my life, Taylor. I couldn't tell you why, but I, see, I killed that baby, and I didn't know it at the time. And it changed everything, and I couldn't connect those dots. I fell into an incredible depression after this, and I still didn't know that it was even related to that. I gained a lot of weight. I, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to end my life, essentially. When I got out of the core in 95 and I went home, I got a great job immediately, but I was so depressed. I was drinking myself into oblivion, hanging out and spending my money at strip clubs, trying to – I mean, I was driving drunk. I, I, I tried to walk into highway traffic. I wanted to die, and I didn't even know why. I had no concept of what was causing this, just something – this will to live was really you know, over, and I couldn't explain it. So my life was a real train wreck at this point, and I bounced around quite a bit. I wasn't holding down jobs. Nothing was working. My sister gave me an opportunity, and this was, um, you know, like I said, I think this was 1996. I got an opportunity to go to Oklahoma, live with my sister, and go to broadcasting school, go to radio school, learn how to be a radio guy. I wanted to be Howard Stern. That's, yeah, I thought, if I could just be Howard Stern, you know, Howard talks to porn stars and, and famous people, and he cusses all the time, and then my father will be proud of me. And, you know, so that's what I did. I went to radio school. And after I graduated, I applied for 120 jobs across the country in every conceivable format from classic music to reggae to everything in between. And not one station called me in for an interview, not a single one. So I, I sold my car. I bought a one-way train ticket from Dallas, Texas to Boston, Massachusetts. My father was living in southern New Hampshire. And I thought, I'll go live with my dad. And then my father, me and my father will be together, and everything will be fine. So that's what I did. I took that train ride. Hale Bop was in the sky. 
April 1st, I, the train uh, came to a stop at Boston's train station. I think it's called the Garden. And I stepped off that train April 1st, 1997. And I moved in with my dad. And we went back to our old times. Now, I had gained so much weight through my depression, my father was going to beat that out of me. Because my dad, he was, he was still fairly young at that point, and he was in really great shape, and he had been with yet another woman and had other women on the side, and, and the body image was everything. So, you know, we're doing like two a days, just trying to get our, my act together. We're sharing the porn collection again. You know, it's all about getting ourselves so that we can conquer, we can achieve those, those conquests over women. And I'm trying to embrace all that. I'm trying to do all of that. And I end up getting two radio jobs. Because I just walked to the closest radio station and started volunteering, and then they started paying me. It was fantastic. But I co-hosted a morning show at WHOB 106.3 in Nashua, New Hampshire. And one day, I was doing a live broadcast from a pizza joint, (laughs) and then in walked this woman. And this is a girl who had been calling into our radio program, and, and so I had talked to her several times by phone, and this was the first time I'd ever laid eyes on her. And the minute I saw her, something clicked inside me, and I said, I got to marry her. Like, it was the weirdest thing. I wasn't thinking marriage. It was just, boom. I just, oh, wow, I've got to marry her. I pursued her for, I think, two years before she finally said yes. And so in order to pop the question, I wanted to go really big. And I had been busting my hump to buy her the biggest possible you know, engagement ring that I could possibly afford. And I was working extra hours and doing all kinds of things, and just, just I saved up this money, and I bought this ring, and I wanted to go big and make it really, really special. So we were living in Manchester, New Hampshire, and there's this, this I think of a mountain, but like a, let's, they call it the rock, the rock, rock rimmon is what it's called. And teenagers climb up there, and they, you know, they smoke weed and get drunk, and they look, the, you know, they look at the city lights. That's the kind of what they do up there. So what I did was I hauled up on top of this rock that overlooked Manchester, New Hampshire, a giant wooden uh, table set, like a dining room table with wooden chairs, the whole thing. And I put out a red candle, uh, a red, uh, you know, tablecloth and a silver candelabra with red uh, tapered candles. And then I brought my my soon-to-be fiancé at the top of that rock. Here's what we're going to do, Joe. We're going to come back from the break, and we're going to leave people in suspense like a good soap opera. And we're gonna come back, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna hear we're gonna hear the end of the story here at the end of the break, or right after the break. So, hey guys, we're gonna be back in here about two or three minutes, um, and we will be right back to hear the the great uh, Joe McLean talk about his proposal. We'll be right back. We are back for our final segment of the night. We are joined with our with today's guest, Joe McLean, the Catholic Hack. And Joe, before we uh, we went off to the break, you were you left us in some some suspense, right? So you were telling <laughs> about the story. You you saw this girl from across the room. You started dating her, and you were going up this mountain to propose to her. You you pulled out the red carpet and some candles, and then so the sun is setting. Right, and you got the blues, you got the purples, and the, the the oranges and the yellows, and the sky. It was a perfect night, and I brought her up there blindfolded, so she wouldn't know what was going on. And so I took the blindfold off just as the sun was setting, 
and I had this white leather ring box, and inside the lid was a light bulb that shined on the rock, which is a fantastic way to make your rock look bigger than it actually is. <laughs> what a Just smart a guy. <laughs> tip there for any man getting ready to ask uh, a woman to marry him. So, and I said, you know, and I put lobster out, right, for dinner on top of this rock, and I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. But while we're eating dinner, she, I, she said to me something that was, like, really crazy to me at the time, which was, you know, you're going to have to become Catholic, right? I mean, I'm Catholic, and I'm going to raise my kids Catholic, so if we're going to get married, you have to become Catholic, too. And I thought, that's not good. I mean, <laughs> I, was raised, I was raised Church of Christ. I mean, my parents, my grandparents will probably disown me over this. But the long story short was, I was really a, a hedonist. I, I didn't believe in absolute truth at that point in my life. And all roads sort of led to heaven anyway, right? So what difference does it make? Uh, so I went to RCIA. And RCIA was, was an incredible experience, not because of the deep theological you know, education I received, but more of the charity that I received from the people and their heart to help me on my journey. And, you know, it was the Beatitudes that really, really moved me. Uh, that the, Matthew chapter 5, when they read that to me, I had a sort of a, a moment of clarity. That Beatitude of, blessed are the pure in spirit, for they shall see God. God allowed me to understand that I was not pure. Like, he helped me to realize, to be honest with myself, because a lot of times we just buy our own lies. And that was whole, my whole life. But he gave me a moment of clarity that night that I was not pure in spirit. I was not pure in heart. And that if I died right then and there, boy, that was really powerful, that I would not see God. But I was not yet ready to live those Beatitudes. Fast forward. I become Catholic in 1999 at the Easter Vigil. A year later, I get married to my wife, and that was September of 2000, and fast forward a few months, we buy a house, fast forward to several months after that, my wife's family moves in with us. Now, I was in a bad situation because I was not living a good life. We weren't going to Mass by that point. I was in a very bad peer group, and everything was going bad until I lost my job. I was mistreating and abusing my wife and her family at every step of the turn. And when I lost my job, my wife said, you know what, you don't, you don't, you're not loving, you're not, you don't have integrity, you're not kind, you're not generous, and now you don't even bring home a paycheck. You have zero value to me. And she wanted to divorce me. That was the moment, it was April of 2002, that I mystically encountered the Savior of the world. And he changed my life in a blink of an eye. He put several things on my heart. Now, I didn't see him, and I didn't hear his voice. His presence was so overwhelming to me in that room that it forced me to my knees, and the words spit out of my mouth. I did not want to say them. They just came and rushing out. Lord, I cannot do this. You must do this. And in that moment, he put on my heart the need for purity and chastity for myself and to protect my family. He put on my heart to get to know him with this insatiable drive, this hunger to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then he said to me, essentially, that I was to fix my broken marriage, and no matter what abuse or pain or suffering would be involved, I was to take it on the chin to save my marriage, that it was worth dying over. And I did, and it was painful for many years. But you know, the real turn, because I know we're running out of time, it was a journey. That was, in many ways, that was almost the beginning of the journey the beginning of understanding, the beginning of learning about the Catholic faith and really giving my heart to Christ and to his church and saying, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But the day that I gave my heart to the church, 
that was a powerful day too. And then when I went to confession after that, and I confessed abortion, I confessed, confessed premarital sex, I confessed uh, contraception, masturbation, I confessed my selfishness, my life of trying to seek my father's approval and realizing that my father in heaven loves me so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for me on a cross. And what more approval and acceptance and healing could I ever expect than for his son to say, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Amen. Amen. That is awesome, man. That is by which I have a new opportunity to father my children, right? To father my children, to be for them what was not there for me. Right? That's what I have. That's that opportunity I have right now. And that's the embrace that we must take every single day. No matter our wounds, no matter our past, no matter our our sins, no matter what the devil whispers in our ear, we must go to the sacrament with all earnestness, with all vigor, with all energy, and embrace him in the sacrament of confession and in the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist and say, today we begin again. Today we will break that cycle of sin from our past, and today we will do it right. Amen. That's fatherhood. Amen. That's that's awesome. How how like because of all the struggles that you share with us with with your own father and how you were trying to follow him, and then you just share with us how like you had this great realization of what your heavenly father did for you. How do those two things impact your fatherhood? Like for for me as as a father of two young children or for the other people who are listening who who have who are fathers of children, what is the biggest thing that you learned throughout your life? All the struggles, all the joys. What's like the number one thing that you would tell uh, Catholic fathers out there? Embrace that role. Embrace it. You know, I felt un- I felt inadequate to the task for the longest time. You know, I was afraid to pray in front of my wife because I, I thought, if I open my mouth, she's going to realize I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, and that was a scary, scary thought. But then the Lord gave me grace, you know, in the, ba- in the sacrament of the baptism and confirmation and the Holy Eucharist and, and confession and matrimony, you're giving graces. And when you tap into them, they come alive in your life. And so I just jumped in and said, Lord, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but you do, and I'm going to trust you for it. Now, do that every day with your kids. That's my advice. Jump in and affirm your children. Look your children in the eye and tell them you're proud of them. Tell them you love them. Exhort them to the faith. Encourage them to want to become saints. And to make that determination, draw that sort of proverbial line in the sand and say, this far and no further. My kids will not encounter porn in my home. My kids will realize that I love their mother so much that I will love her till my death and, and prayerfully beyond. I mean, do that. Let your kids see that. Give them a, a legacy, not of money or of, of, of anything material, but rather of your commitment to Christ and your commitment to the marriage and your commitment to them. That will be worth so much. It will reverberate through generations down your family line. All right, well, Joe, thank you for that encouragement. Thanks for sharing your story with us, uh, both both the struggles and, and the great joys. I want to thank you for coming on. And, uh, yeah, if you guys go check him out at catholichack.com. You can find all of his um, speaking and all of his all the things that he's written um, and just more information about how to get connected with him. So, Joe, thanks again for coming on with us today. God bless you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you too, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right, good night. Good night. All right, so that was that was a, a, a tremendous story from Joe, a, a tremendous um, 
change in his life, right? Like completely going one way and going, and, and then God coming into his life and completely changing that the course of his life, right? One of the biggest things that stuck out to me uh, about his uh, about his story, about how the, the struggle with his earthly father, right? And there's a lot of people in my life that have struggled with their earthly father, um, you know, e- even if they're they're a great father or they're like not doing things that they should be, right? Um, but this struggle to go- call God father, the struggle to see God the father as a good father, as somebody who who truly does love us, who um, who does approve of us, who does um, show his mercy to us, who is a great leader to us, right? So there's this, just to kind of get, like, wrap everything that Joe was talking about, about fatherhood up. I think the biggest thing that we need to learn is that, like, even if we have the greatest parents, like, nobody's perfect, right? Like, uh, my parents aren't perfect, your parents aren't perfect, like, uh, Jesus had one holy parent or one perfect parent and one non-perfect parent, right? St. Joseph, who's a great example of a father, right? Who led, who led quietly. He doesn't say a word in the scriptures. Who led, um, like he was the leader of his family and moved his family from one place to the other. Even though if you think about it, he was the least holy person in his entire family. His son was God. His stepson essentially was God. And his, and his wife was the mother of God, you know, who never sinned, right? So, just a crazy, crazy, awesome example of fatherhood. But one of the things that I, that I want to do to kind of wrap up the show um, is to to listen to this song that uh, a lot of you have probably heard. It's one of the most popular Christian songs on the radio right now. Um, but I just want to give you an opportunity um, to pray with it and, and to sit with this song, right? Because the first segment we talked about Lent and how, like, man, my Lent's been struggling. Maybe your has yours has too, and going through the desert and. I just want this song to encourage you today. So whether you've heard this song a thousand times or you've never heard it before, sometimes hearing a song a, song a thousand times, like, you don't even think about the words anymore, right? It's harder to pray with because it's just repetition, repetition. So we're going to this, play this song called Good, Good Father um, by Chris Tomlin, a great song about how God loves us as fathers. So here it is.
hardly think as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still as you call me deeper still into love 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 your good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are man i love that song so much we we use that so often in, in praise and worship in our prayer at the office and our prayer um even during mass it's it's just a, a great song that a lot of people have connected with probably the biggest praise and worship song in the last year or two um by by chris tomlin my wife and i got to go see him in concert uh, around this time last year and just had an amazing amazing time there um great moment of of bonding for us as a married couple which joe talked about that one that being one of the important most important things of fatherhood is working on your marriage and continuing to show your love for your for your wife or your uh, for your spouse <laughs> But then also, like, in this song, it's, like, the two things that, like, really tie this together for me is, like, no matter what your father's like, like, you have a good father in heaven. Um, and, and, like, who we are are beloved sons and daughters of God. Not just in our best moments, but in the moments where we suck at Lent and our prayer life is struggling and we're not being, like, the, the perfect Catholic that we expect ourselves to be or what other people do. But, like, God knows that we're children. Like, children mess up, right? They're, we're going to make mistakes, and God loves us anyway, and he continues to call us deeper, right? So my challenge for you this week is to continue to answer that call, or maybe to answer that call for the first time. God is calling you into something deeper. He's calling you into a relationship with him. All you have to do is answer and turn to him and, and practice the presence of God, like going and 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 spending a few moments with him in adoration, spending a few moments with him. You can't make it to church. Like Brother Lawrence said, as I, as I quoted in the first segment, like just God lives in your heart. He's already there, right? So just uh, allowing some time of quiet these next couple of weeks as we prepare for Easter. So I promised in the first segment that we were going to get to our, our mass text segment. Uh, I made a great, uh, I think it's great. I guess that's kind of, a, kind of prideful to say, but it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll do it next week. I have a new intro for it. Um, so that's a little uh, a little tease for you for next week. But um, before we go into uh, me saying goodbye, I just want to tell you that one of my good friends that listens to the podcast texted me from Wisconsin and said that her son walks around doing my sign-off um, that I do on the end of the show every day. So Caleb, you little three- or four-year-old hanging out in Wisconsin, this is for you. See ya! <laughs>